Hey, it's good to have you back, and uh, it's almost good to be back. I'm glad you're here. I'm still getting used to being here myself. Not so long ago, I was on the beach, and it was 80. I'm having a hard time adjusting. I'm sorry. But uh, you're making it better. The fact that you're here makes it better. I'm almost excited to be here. No, I'm excited to be here. (laughs) I'm glad you're here. Uh, My name is Derek. I'm the RUF campus pastor here at Pitt. And uh, my 11th year, if we haven't met, I'd love to meet you. Uh, I'm not the only staff member. Callie over here is our full-time staff member. And Zinni in the back there is an intern. Um, if you're wondering who to talk to about life, struggles, faith, doubt, college sports, good music, where to get good coffee, any number of things like that, I'm the person you should talk to about those last three or four. All those other things you can talk to them about. No, we'd love to meet with you chat get to know you um last semester we spent time in the book of galatians and and galatians does a wonderful job sort of laying out how god is out to change us as individuals and how that change takes place in our lives as individuals what growth looks like and having talked about how we change as individuals uh we're going to turn and look at the book of acts now and, and talk about how god grows and changes his community how we as his people, plural, y'all, the, you know, all of us, uh, what God's good plan is to change us and grow us together. If you're not familiar with Acts, it's, it's a sequel. It's part two. Uh, Luke was a you know, very busy writer. And uh, he wrote two books, one called Luke, and you know, look after yourself, even though it's not about him, and uh, one called Acts. And, and he tells us right at the beginning of each book what he's trying to do. In each case, Luke is an outsider writing for an outsider. Luke is a Gentile convert writing to a Gentile convert named Theophilus. And he writes, he tells us, so that Theophilus and us as well may know for certain the things which we believe. And that's what we want to do in RUF, is to study the scriptures in such a way that if you're a Christian, you can be certain of your faith. And if you're not, you can dig in deep and ask the hard questions and wrestle with it. Uh, that you might know whether or not Luke, if Jesus really is the king that Luke lays out for us, and Acts, if you really want to join this movement, this group of people that uh, Jesus launches into history. That's what uh, Luke and Acts is all about. So uh, we're going to jump in this week in Acts chapter 1. I'll be reading verses 1 to 11. Here we go. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they'd come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or seasons the Father has fixed by his own authority. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he'd said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, 
As he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heavens? And this Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. All right, I'm going to pray. Feel free to join me. Good Father, as we gather at the beginning of a new semester, a a mixture of excitement and fear and anxiety and maybe a little dread and excitement, uh, we ask you be kind to meet with us. For those that are uh, returning and maybe uh, only a few months from the end here, we ask you be kind to draw them near and minister to their hearts as they think about uh, life in another little aspect of your community not far from now. And uh, for those that are new to our group here, we pray you be kind to draw near and draw them close to you and uh, grant them here uh, encouragement and uh, beautiful, thick friendships that would encourage them in their life as a student here. Be with us now as uh, we're busy and distracted already only four days in. In our weakness, would you meet with us and show us the good plans you have for your people. We ask these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. I have a good friend uh, named Michael Gordon. He's really good at collecting stories. This is one of his. So there's this old man wearing a white T-shirt. Imagine this. Old man, white T-shirt. Already bad. Uh, Pants up near his uh, armpits because of his suspenders. He's riding a moped. And he pulls up to a stoplight. And next to him is a Lamborghini Diablo. Sleek, beautiful car. Kind of car you'd see in South Florida, where I just came from, by the way. It's crazy here in there. And uh, the old man uh, knocks on the window and says, Hey, sir, how, how fast does this thing go? The driver nonchalantly replies, Tops out over 200. 203, I think, to be precise. And uh, when the light changes, the driver decides to show off a bit, and he floors it, and in a matter of seconds, he's going 80 miles an hour. And uh, he checks his mirror and see something a little strange, a dot in the distance, but rapidly closing, and suddenly the old man on the moped flies by. And the driver at first is awed, and then determined not to lose to a moped, so he punches it, and he's hitting 120, and he flies past the moped, and moments later, the old man flies past him again. Back and forth they go, right? I-95, South Florida. And... Um, Finally, at last, the old man doesn't zoom past. He smashes into the back of the Diablo. The driver jumps out, and, and after he you know, ascertains that the man's not dead, he's okay, he asks, how in the world did you keep passing me? What kind of moped is that? And the old man replies, if you'll unhook my suspenders from your side view mirror, I will gladly tell you. <laughs> so. This, of course, did not happen. So, here's the point. This silly story is a parable. Sort of about what's, what's about to happen in the book of Acts. Okay? Hang with me here. Jesus is impressive. Jesus is unique. Jesus is beautiful, and Jesus is powerful. He is the engine behind this movement and this book. Okay, everybody wants Jesus, or is at least impressed by Jesus. But his community, his followers, his disciples at this point, moped, 
Read through the Gospels. They don't get it. Even now, they don't completely get it. Even now, we're not quite sure. Some of us, we love Jesus, we want Jesus. I'm not sure I want his people. And uh, the question we have to grapple with here at the beginning of Acts is something like this. What reason do we have to be expectant, to be optimistic about what happens now? Jesus is gone. In this story, he leaves. What reason do I have to be optimistic and expectant for this community, for this movement that he started? At this point in Acts, why would anyone jump on this moped of a bandwagon? And now, 2,000 years later, why would anyone jump on this moped of a church? What we're going to see tonight is that Jesus' ascension, that's his leaving, his ascension is not an abandonment. He doesn't abandon his people. He doesn't abandon the world. Rather, a little bit like our moped. <laughs> his ascension propels an amazing worldwide work of growing and going together. Okay? So we're going to talk about uh, what it means that Jesus ascended and then how he ascended, but he's not absent. He ascended, but he is active. He ascended, and his work is advancing. If you're a note taker, if you're new here, thanks for coming. And if you're a note taker, Often I have notes on the sides and outline. Not always, I'm sorry, but just so you know. So you can be disappointed in the future. Anyway, uh, what does it mean that he ascended? And uh, Luke tells us that after Jesus' resurrection, he continued to appear to his disciples, his followers, for 40 days. 40 days, every now and then he would just show up, have a meal with them. And, uh, and as verses 1, 2, and 3 tell us, offer them proofs. That's really important. Just, people will tell you, like, a long time ago, people didn't really get how the real world was. They were supernatural freaks that believed anything could happen. No, they didn't. No, they didn't. The men could not believe it. Uh, I see you, but I saw you die, so I don't know what to think. And Jesus is like, you can feel. Here, I'll eat for you. Watch me eat. Like Over and over, he had to come and show them that he really had risen from the dead. Because you see... People don't rise from the dead. They knew that. <laughs> so he has to prove it to them over and over. And for 40 days, he does that. And he also teaches them about the nature of the work, the kingdom, it says, until, verse 2, the day he's taken up. That's very common, you know, everyday language for he disappeared into heaven. Uh, you see, Luke is treating this ascension thing very historically. Luke is a historian. He's writing history. He's writing theological history about the nature of Jesus and his church. But he sees this as a real-time, real-place historical event. It happened. There were witnesses. Verses 10 and 11, they're staring there looking at him. You see that? We'll talk about that in a moment. It's historical. It really happened. Just like Jesus' ministry, just like his death, just like his resurrection, he really ascends into heaven. And uh, verse 10, you know, as it's happening... They're staring at it. The angels appear and explain to them, this Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven. Uh, you know, okay. Um, I want you to know that you don't have to think of this as like a, a temporal movement from like the crust of the earth to the atmosphere. Because uh, people have that idea. Uh, a long time ago, you know, the first Russian cosmonaut reached space, Yuri Gagarin. 
I don't actually know how to pronounce his name, which is a shame because I'm married to a Russian. Anyway, um, the, uh, and he got out there. One of the first things he said was, yeah, I'm out here and, and there's no God here. And he literally expected, like, if I go into the heavens and if there's a God, he'll be in the heavens, right? And uh, that, that displays a pretty poor understanding of a biblical cosmology, of the way that God claims the world and the universe is made. Um, and, you know, I don't hold it against him. He didn't have a proper theological education. He had no education. They had their own religion. It's called communism. Anyway, um, it is a religion, by the way. Um, so, um, no, Jesus, spiritual in nature, eternal with the Father forever, humbly has taken flesh, and now that he's done his work, he's going home. He's going home to his Father, his heavenly home. And in verses 10 and 11, you sort of get this funny, poignant scene. I think this is hilarious. Uh, he's ascending to the Father. As he's foretold, this was going to happen. And uh, the men, are, you know, his followers who've been with him for years, who love him, are standing there, it says, gazing into heaven as he went. And two men stood by them in white robes and say, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? I think that's hilarious. Why do you stand looking into heaven? Dude just shot off the ground and disappeared in the sky. <laughs> what do you mean, why am I staring into heaven? Like, that doesn't happen. Um, but I think it's still, even though it's funny, I think, I think it's really important, actually, what, what they're saying. You see, they, they've, over these 40 days, gotten used to Jesus just showing up whenever. He's been ministering to them during this period. And the angels, in effect, are saying, He's gone. Uh, he's not coming back. Well, he is, and the angels say that too. But, but not like you've gotten used to. He's not showing up for lunch tomorrow, guys. He'll come back at the end. You should not expect him back tomorrow. In other words, Jesus has ascended to the right hand of the Father and finished his work, and there he reigns. So the question is, is, is this whole amazing Jesus movement experience going to continue and if so, it's going to do so in his absence, right? In his absence. Wrong. You're going to be wrong many times this semester, so let's just get it over with now. Wrong. Not in his absence, actually. Jesus is ascended, but he's not absent. And that's one of the things I love about this text. Uh, Matthew ends his story of Jesus' life with this beautiful promise from Jesus. He says to his disciples, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. The question is How? You went to the Father. How are you with me to the end of the age? Right? And, and Jesus' answer to this is the, the promised gift that uh, Luke talks about in verse 4. Uh, when Jesus is with his followers, he commands them to wait. And it takes them about 10 days, actually, we find out later. For the promise of the Father, which is the promised Holy Spirit. Actually, if you read the text really clearly here in this couple of verses, it's uh, really promised. God the Father promises the Spirit. We'll see that in chapter 2. Promised it for 500 years. The prophet Joel promised it. So it's been promised for a long time. And uh, when Jesus shows up, somebody else promises the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist promises the Holy Spirit. Way back at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And then Jesus himself promises the Holy Spirit. These guys have been promised the Holy Spirit over and over. And, uh, and it's about to arrive. And it's through the Spirit that Jesus is present with his people. And uh, you know, it, it, later in Acts... Uh, the Holy Spirit is even called the Spirit of Jesus. 
But it's the person of the Holy Spirit now sent personally to the disciples and later to his people that connects us to Jesus, unites us to Jesus. That's how we share in his benefits. That's how Jesus works his life and change into us. We talked about this a lot in Galatians. It's by walking in the Spirit that we're made more and more like Jesus. It's how God works in us to remind us that we're his children. It's the Spirit that cries out in us, Abba, Father, reminds us that we have a Father that loves us. And so even though Jesus has ascended, left the earth, is not physically with his people, with us anymore, because he sends the Spirit to his people personally, Jesus is able to be present with his people, with us, in ways he never could be when he was physically here on the earth. Present with his people at all times by the Spirit. And uh, that means he's not absent. His ascension means he's not absent. He's with us. And, uh, you know, there's a sense in which I think about the ascension and it feels a little bit to me like the parade at the end of the big victory. We've closed the series. We've won the championship. The parade, and he just keeps going off into the sunset. The work is done. Uh, oh, this is, I don't think this is blasphemous. But almost like you know, Jesus lighting this victory cigar. He's hitting into retirement. Okay? Like, I'm hanging it up. It's over. You know, he's retiring. And uh, what's clear is he's not only not absent, he's not finished working. He's ascended, but he's also at work. The disciples are really confused about this. Jesus has been teaching them about the kingdom. That's what it says in verses 3 and 4. And so they ask in verse 6, Is it now that you restore the kingdom to Israel? Is it now? In other words, they're asking, like, are we done yet? Like, you worked really hard, and they rejected you and killed you. But you rose from the dead. That was pretty awesome. And, uh, it seems like you're talking about going back. Does that mean like you're about to close it? Like you're going to write the end of the chapter and put the end and it's all done, right? And surprise, uh, no. <laughs> First, Jesus sort of tells them, uh, about speculating about the times, you're wasting your time. It's not for you to know the times. Jesus, during his ministry, said, hey, it's not even for me to know the times set by the Father. You can speculate all you want, but you're not going to get any answers. But the real surprise is in verse 8. Uh, no, the work's not almost done. Actually, there's work to do, and uh, you're going to do it. You're going to do it. Uh, you, my followers, my men, uh, you're going to do it. So not now, not narrow, not nationalistic. That's what they're expecting. Restore the kingdom to Israel, to us, right here. It would be great right here. And Jesus is like, not now, not here, not just us. And you're not going to just enjoy it and spectate. You're going to participate, men. And he tells them in verse 8 that the work continues. You will be my witnesses. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And you will do it powerfully because the Holy Spirit will be powerfully at work in you to witness. And that's really something that I think is really interesting. Um, because the Spirit is at work in them. And because they are powerfully working. You know, my, it's not up there. My Bible reads... Acts of the Apostles. The title right there. Luke didn't title his work. Um, so, you know, someone titled it for him. Which means the title's up for debate. So some theologians say, you know, the Apostles certainly do some amazing things in here. The first half's about the early church, and then Peter, and then 
some special people like Stephen, and Philip, and then Paul, and Peter, and then Paul again. Uh, but other people say, you know what, it's all the Holy Spirit. You read right through Acts, it's the Holy Spirit doing everything. Should we call it Acts of the Holy Spirit? Some Bible translations might even read Acts of the Holy Spirit. But you know what? They're all wrong. They should get used to being wrong. Um, the, uh, no, I mean, they're both sort of right. But uh, what's, what's interesting to me about this is not just that the apostles continue their work, but Jesus does. Look at verse 1. Luke writes, in the first book, Theophilus, that's the guy he's writing to, his patron for the work, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Wait a minute, what do you mean began? Like he's not done yet? Dude took flesh, was baptized, ministered, died, rose from the dead, and ascended into heaven, and you're telling me that was just the beginning? That's what began means. That was the beginning of his work? That's exactly what Luke is saying. He's saying that Acts is the continuation of Jesus' work. And that he's continuing to work today and now. In this people. In this world. He's doing it through the Spirit. Through his people. But Jesus is still at work. Just because he's not here. In the flesh doesn't mean he's not at work. Instead, he's powerfully at work. And so, uh, I think this is beautiful. Uh, If you're familiar with the Gospels... um, you should be thinking at this point, like white t-shirt, pants up to the armpits, sputtering moped, awkward, unimpressive, going nowhere. That's the nature of the community. That's the nature of the people of God if Jesus is absent and not involved. And you'd be wrong in some ways because this community, these disciples... The church, they are hitched to the ascended, reigning Son of God. He's ascended, but he's not absent. He's ascended, but he's at work. He's powerfully at work in them by his Holy Spirit. And I, I will offer you the simplest, I mean, this is not necessarily the best proof, but one of the simplest proofs of his ongoing work that I possibly can, which is this. On a random Thursday night, 2,000 years later, you're here. That's pretty profound, actually. I mean, let me make it clear. This ain't Jerusalem, okay? <laughs> this is not Jerusalem. 2,000 years later, you have a 1,000 things to do. And a 1,000 things that you don't have to do that you probably want to do. But you're here. You're here. Even if you don't believe it, you're here. Because Jesus has continued to work powerfully. His church, his movement has grown for 2,000 years across borders all over the world. And because Jesus is at work, even if you don't believe it, yet you wonder, man, what is different? What is beautiful? Where do I find life? Where do I find joy? Why are these people different? Continues to be compelling and beautiful, even in the moped of his people now. It's beautiful, right? So Jesus is powerfully at work, and the work is advancing. Here's the last point. Jesus has ascended, but this thing is advancing. Even in chapter 1, you may hear advancing and think aggressive, especially if you're a nice little peaceful person. If you're an aggressive, angry person like me, this sounds lovely. Um, But that's not what I mean by aggressive. Um, Again, you'd be wrong if you think uh, this is bad. 
Instead, the fact that it's advancing is really good news. And, and let me make it clear what I mean by this. In verse 8, Jesus is telling his apostles, a bunch of Jewish men, that they will be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Okay? To put it in like pit student terms, he's saying, okay, we're all from the quad. We've all lived in the towers and uh, Breckenridge, but we are going. We're going to go to the cathedral and to the O and even to Forbes. But, you know, it's always it's still like between the avenues. And lo, I tell you, we shall go into South Oakland, even south of the boulevard. And we shall go up to the hill, even past Trees Hall. And you're like, there's nothing else than past Trees Hall. <laughs> this is what Jesus is saying to the people. Like, his people, like, Jerusalem is ground zero, okay? The Jerusalem's even included sort of crazy. They, they, wait, we're not giving up on Jerusalem? They killed you here a month ago. They would, they would like to maybe kill us. We're going to start in Jerusalem? Yeah, we're going to start in Jerusalem. <laughs> okay. And uh, we're going to keep going to the ends of the earth. In other words, man, this, this thing is bigger and broader than any of them ever dreamed. And it's beautiful and good. They were settling for now and narrow and nationalistic. And Jesus is saying, you're not dreaming nearly big enough. God's plan has always been to include the nations. So that eventually every tribe, tongue, people, and nation will know the Lord. That's good stuff. It's beautiful. Uh, But consider the goodness of this as well. This is a sort of big picture. What Jesus has done and what he's doing here. A big picture. Jesus, eternal son of God, because he loves his people, takes flesh. He becomes a baby. That's what Christmas did that, right? And uh, that we might know God. And he begins his ministry. He shows up and says, the kingdom of God's here, which is to say, hey, the king's here. And he could say, because he's the king, this is what I would probably have done. You've got 24 hours to get your crap together and report, lay down your arms and get in line. He created everything, right? I mean, he's the king. He doesn't do that. What does he do? He humbly gets up and goes village to village, humbly preaching the good news of God's love. How humble is that? He's the king, right? And this is what he does. That they might know what God is like. And then uh, he lives a perfect life for them, which is not easy. And then he dies for them, for his his people's sins, that they might be forgiven. And uh, what we have then is victorious King Jesus, having lived and died for his people, now returning to glory in the ascension, and he now reigns at the right hand of God the Father. Okay, that's just sort of the story so far. It's a pretty impressive story. And I want to pause on the story and real quick say, if you're a Christian, I need you to take hold of this real quick and think about this. Consider this. Your Savior who came, lived, and died for you has risen from the dead. And that means his justifying work is finished. You're always in college asking, have I done enough? Am I, am I enough? Will I do enough? Am I good enough? And as it regards your relationship with God, you can throw all that merit stuff out. The Son of God did everything that needs to be done to make you right with the Father. When you trust in Him, you get His record. You get His score. How settled is it? He's hung it up, and He's in heaven. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. He loves you. That's how secure you are in His love. 
He's at the right hand of the Father. You can't undo that. You can't screw that up. That's how secure His love is for you if you've trusted in Him. That's amazing. It's amazing. But check this out. This is crazy. What does Jesus then do? The reigning Jesus, who's finished all this work, continues even now to humbly reach out. He came to earth. They killed him. Got that right? They killed him. He rose from the dead, went back to the Father in glory. And what does he do? He tells his followers, Let's go out there and tell the world how much I love them. Is, is that not beautiful and good? How humble is that? What kind of king is this? That's how good this is, friends. It's not just global. It's so beautifully good. That, that God loves the lost. That God loves sinners so much that Jesus continues to reach out. It's wonderful. It's beautiful. And... Uh, that means if, if you're here tonight, and thank you, we've had a lot of new people here. This is wonderful. I love new semesters. If we could just do like a new, the first two weeks of the semester over and over and over again, that'd be awesome. Um, and everyone said amen. Um, the, um, if you're new here or you've been here for months or years even, and you, and you come here and you sit and you think, man, I just don't measure up. There's no way God can forgive me and love me. You are wrong. Well, you're right. You don't measure up. You don't. You won't. Um, but you're wrong. That's not what matters to him. He didn't come to earth so you could measure up. He didn't die for you so you could measure up. The good news is he died for the sins of his people. When you trust in him, you get his record. And he forgives you. And you can know his love. And you can be certain of it. You can be assured of it. I don't know how else to make it clear to you. He, he is still reaching out even now. That's how much he wants people to come to him. So I think this is wonderful. But Jesus has ascended. He's still at work. He's present with us. And the good news is advancing even now. And I, have a, I think I have a helpful illustration to wrap this all up with. We have to go back a long time. This is sort of an old illustration. So a long time ago, before Thor Ragnarok, before... Thor Ragnarok. <laughs> in the first Avengers movie, in the first Avengers movie, uh, if you remember, and if you haven't, I'll help you. Loki, Thor's brother, is led an invasion. Um, and uh, the Avengers have assembled in New York and they're trying to fight off the invasion. They finally gained access to the portal. The portal is uh, the means by which this invading host. Alien invading host is pouring into the city. They finally gained access to the portal. They're about to close it. And Tony Stark, that is Iron Man, uh, messages in and says, can't close it yet. They fired a nuke. There's a missile coming. You know, they decided we'd just rather blow up New York City than allow this to continue. And, uh, and Stark you know, communicates his intentions to guide this thing through the portal and to sacrifice himself in the process. You remember this scene? pretty cool yeah it's a pretty great scene well if you remember he guides this thing through the portal and in the last thing that and he was sacrificing himself in, in the process the last thing he sees right before he loses consciousness is what he gets a glimpse of this giant invading host this giant army 
heavenly hosts of the enemy. And uh, he then loses consciousness, and he survives the day. They win the victory that night. But if you go and watch the other movies, Stark remains haunted by what he sees. Remember this? He has nightmares. He has nightmares about what he sees. And in those nightmares, his friends are dead, his loved ones are dead, and occasionally, even though they're dead, they'll say stuff like, why didn't you do more? And behind them are this huge invading host, this irrepressible, powerful enemy, and he's haunted by it. Now, hang with me. What we have in Acts 1 is just like that, only the complete opposite. Okay. This work, I promise. Uh, what we have in Jesus is a powerful invading outsider. And he has come not to bring destruction, but to remove from us that which would destroy us. To take from us that which would kill us and ruin us. And he does it personally. And he doesn't survive the day that day. He takes the full brunt of it. He dies for his people's sins. And there's never been a day since then that anyone could ever accuse him of not doing more. There's never been a day where Jesus thinks, I should have done more for them. No, he did everything that needed to be done to make his people right with him. And what we have in this text, hang on, just for a moment, is something of a little portal. We get to see sort of what Stark did. We, we get to glare through the portal, if you will, into the ascended heavens like the apostles did and see you know, not, not an irrepressible host about to crush us, but the reigning son of God who loves us. The one who loved us enough to live and die for us. Seated on the throne of God, still at work because he loves his people. Man, that's not, that's not a nightmare. That's a comfort, friends. You have a God that loves you enough to die for you. And is at the right hand of the Father. And uh, he's still at work. And it's wonderful. And he is every intent to keep moving and advancing and going and growing us all together. All right, I'm going to pray. Our great Father, we ask you be kind this semester to show us uh, the beautiful uh, implications of what we talked about tonight. Uh, That because you, Lord Jesus, have done what no one else uh, could do, or even would do necessarily, to make us right with the Father, we have every reason to expect the good work you started to continue and to grow. Lord, would you be kind this semester? to take our cynicism to task, to take our soft expectations to task, to uh, make us eager and expectant for the great work that you're doing. We ask you be kind, Lord, to to grow us uh, here as RUF and to continue to grow uh, your people, Uh, not just for our own individual good, but for the good of all the people around us, Lord, that need hope, that need love, that need forgiveness, that need change. Would you do that, Lord, for your glory? for our good and for their good. We ask these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right, thank you. And uh, we're going to sing one more song, then we're done.